welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Well, friends, I have the uh, privilege and honor of introducing a new friend to you. Uh, a, our speaker this morning is named Sarah Wilhelm Garber. Sarah is a pastor at Colonial Church in Edina and a longtime friend of Awaken and of Covenant folks. We have lots of mutual friends. Uh, so would you please welcome our good friend Sarah Wilhelm Garbers this morning. Well, thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, so before I joined the staff at um, Colonial in Edina, I was actually on the staff at First Pub in Minneapolis um, before that. And so you all have just been in my heart and prayers, and I bring greetings to you from Colonial, where folks were like, yeah, go be with those good people over there. So, so glad to be with you this morning. As we begin, will you pray with me? God of all love and life. On this morning, some of us come with very heavy hearts. Some of us come tired. Some come filled with joy and all of the other things at the same time. So God, this morning, meet us in the places where we most need your love. Breathe in and on us and invite us further into your life, your love, your kingdom, your justice. It's in your name that we gather. Amen. I don't think I'll ever forget when I watched the movie American History X. How many of you have seen that movie before? Some of you. The film tells the tale about a young man whose father was a police officer and was killed. And because of a lot of different reasons from his life, he began to develop a lot of anger. Because of his anger and on account of it, he ended up finding community with a group of folks who were also angry. They performed their anger through white supremacy. And over time, this young man lost touch with his own soul and became someone who wouldn't have been recognized. So when I hear stories like we've heard in the last couple days about shootings in our country, I wonder about the pain and the way that anger gets twisted up inside of us when we don't have places to go with it. And you've been in the midst of this series about Lost in Translation which is fundamentally about how sometimes the words of God themselves get employed and twisted up in stuff that looks very unlike this Jesus of Nazareth who is the God of love, right? And it's excruciating and it's harmful. And we wonder too, where is God in all of this? So today I wanted to invite us more deeply into some of the sayings of Jesus 
that I think have also been employed for ways that haven't always been helpful for our lives or for our world. And invite us more deeply into this love that I personally believe and have found in Jesus, which is a place of freedom from fear, a place that invites us to turn towards our neighbors with deeper love and commitment to their well-being, believing that this God has indeed created all of us and loves each of us. Amen? Amen. So the passage for this morning that I wanted us to sit with, and we're going to actually, I guess, we'll rise in body or in spirit to read together, is from the Gospel of John. Let's read this together. John 14, 1 through 7 begins like this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You can join with me. In our Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I got to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Amen. You may be seated. So today we're going to talk about what is Jesus talking about here when he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now maybe this hasn't been true for you, but as I was growing up, these verses got employed in a way to be like, I've got the truth, and if you don't got it, you're going to hell. I'm sure all of you are nicer people than me, so you never, ever, ever thought that or acted like that, right? But I want to suggest today that what Jesus is doing and talking about is a deep, deep invitation to us to walk in the way of Jesus, to be a people of the way, the truth, and the life, and that there's something important that Jesus is animating for us, that he embodied and evidenced, instead of a like, the only way to the Father is through me. It's a, here's the way. Will you walk in it? And this matters deeply because the Jesus that we choose to follow, the God that we construct, impacts the way we show up in the world and in our lives, right? If I believe God is an authoritarian father figure in the sky who's just going to pummel any of us the moment we do something wrong, I'm acting out of that place in my life. That's the God I follow and believe in. But if I believe Jesus is the evidence of God with us, God in human form, love embodied, that changes how we relate to one another, how I relate to my own self, right? Have you ever had that where you realize like the faith you affirm and the God in your head are not the same thing? 
That was totally me. I was a young girl who first came to know Jesus through John 3.16. And I would cry when my friends would fight because I'd be like, Jesus loves everybody, and you should love everybody because Jesus made everybody, and when you don't love everybody, that means you hate Jesus. Right? And yet, I grew up in a family where my mom lived with untreated mental illness, and my dad wasn't present. And somewhere in my little young brain, I believed that if I were actually lovable, they would have been okay. So I affirmed a faith about this Jesus as a God of love. And yet inside of me, I was terrified that the love wasn't for me. And if it wasn't for me, it wasn't for you either, actually, right? So how do we live into this and explore what it means to know this Jesus as the way the truth, and the life for us. Well, a little bit about the book of John, okay? We'll do a quick flyby. The book of John was written a little bit later than the other gospels. We have Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And John came along because the early church was really wrestling with what do we do with Jesus and who are we as a sect coming out of the Jewish community? How do we articulate what we're about, what we're doing, and why this matters. Are we people who are polytheistic? Do we believe like Jesus is one God among many? They were trying to understand what to do with this idea of Jesus as kind of being new on the scene in the history of their faith, but saying God is one. Does that make sense? They're wrestling with this. So they're trying to articulate and make these connections that Jesus is actually God, and y'all need to like understand that and live into it because in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. That's John 1, okay? So that's what's happening. You see throughout the book of John that there are seven different times where John has Jesus recorded as saying statements, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am others. I'm the vine. I'm preaching on that one next week. Yes, yes. We're doing a series on that this summer. So the I am. Some of you may remember or have heard before the story of when Moses shows up in the Jewish scriptures in Exodus and there's a burning bush. And what speaks out to him? I am. God shows up. So when John is saying, having Jesus recorded as saying, I am the good shepherd, the early hearers of this would have been like, oh, I get it. This is like the way of tagging Jesus is God, folks. Get it? They would have understood that that is precisely the argument that was being made. Jesus is the I am who is and was and was to come. God is one. God is now also known in Jesus. Okay? So that's happening. Another aspect, though, of this I am that I think is incredibly important and helpful for us in thinking about this passage and how we can understand it is this. I am. God doesn't show up in the burning bush and be like, hey, Moses, here's the list of like 8,000 things you need to get right. He says, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. I am. And what I love about that is that it is a profound encounter with the divine that Moses gets to have. He comes face to face with God, and that changes him. 
And I wonder for us, what happens when the I am shows up in our lives? When we let ourselves get disrupted by that? And so that whatever fear we have, whatever anxieties, we're reminded we are held in the source of all life, the I am. The I am. So those are two of the central things I think are going on in John. They're arguing that Jesus is indeed God and that Jesus as the I am, the source of all life, the source of our being, the place where we're invited to come home and know what we were meant in our souls to be in the world. This is the invitation of the Gospel of John. So we come particularly to chapter 14, where it says, I, Jesus, recorded as saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, of course, when anyone tells you, like I'm telling you today, that there are two ways to do something, of course, that's not true. There are like a million ways to do something, and that happens to be as diverse as all of us are. So, like, take what I'm telling you, and then, you know, with lots of grains of salt. I do think that there are two significant ways that one can choose to be Christian. One can choose to be Christian as a way to keep oneself from having to deal with any of the hard stuff of life, where Jesus becomes a sort of drug that anesthetizes us from the hard things, where God is this authoritarian God who we fear and we think we're nothing. That's one option. Another option and way of relating to God and faith is that in, we are afraid, but God is the ground of our being by God's Spirit, in community with one another, where we huddle together and we come and we say, I need hope. I need life. I am afraid. And God's Spirit <sighs> breathes. And what happens with breath? Right? When you breathe, you go from your reptilian brain, where you're just reacting because you're terrified, to the front of your brain. Right? Where we breathe in and you breathe out. Will you do that with me? Breathe in. And you breathe out. You know the Hebrew word for spirit is breath, right? God's spirit gives us breath so we don't have to be afraid. And in our world and on this day, we are faced with a challenge about what kind of people of faith are we going to be. Are we going to be people who are terrified and holding our breath? Terrified that we're constantly unworthy and inflicting that upon one another? Or a people who are like, Jesus is about breath, folks. <laughs> Let's breathe together. Like you're actually loved in your actual skin because you were actually made by the actual creator. You know, I mean, whatever. And we live that love as we begin to know it more within our skin and our cells and our souls, right? This is the beauty of like 1 John 4 where it says, it says it's translated often by men. I saw that at the end, by men. Perfect, perfecti, or perfect love drives out fear. The Greek there is actually more of the sense of perfecting love. A love that as we know it, it changes us. It transforms us. It makes us new. Well, of course, we aren't like the first humans in history to like wrestle with how are we going to be Christian in the world. 
This has been a challenge and an invitation for people of faith throughout all time and for Christians in the last 2,000 years. And over the cycle of our life, as being people who claim the name of God, we've do sometimes done this beautifully, and sometimes it's gone horribly. And I think so much of that is tied to who is that image of God? Who is that God that you are saying you are following? Some of you have heard about the Crusades that happened throughout the history of Europe and the Middle East, where Christians who believed that they were called by God to slaughter thousands and thousands of people. Okay, for me, that seems a little messed up. I'm not the expert, I'm just saying. But I think it's so much tied to the sense of they felt that they lived in a scary world and that God gave them power and they alone knew the truth, and they needed to destroy the other parts of the church, because they killed Christians too, that didn't believe the same thing. But throughout the church, there's also always been these people who found their lives radically transformed and changed when the God of love showed up, and they knew they could breathe, and they didn't have to feel shame or be afraid anymore. And they became people who started hospitals, who started agencies to care for the poor, who came alongside of their neighbors, who stood in solidarity and said, you can't take them unless you take me first. This question that we have about who is our God is not a new one. So I want to turn to a couple older friends to talk a little bit more about this. Some of you may have heard of a German pastor and theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer came into adulthood in the 1930s, and he had had a profound experience encounter with this God of love. And as National Socialism was on the rise in Nazi Germany, or what became Nazi Germany, he began wrestling out loud with what did it mean to claim Jesus of Nazareth in his time. He lived in a time in which there was so much division around faith and politics and issues of race and justice and nothing that we ever talk about. And he and a lot of other Christians with him were wrestling with these very questions. Who is this God? And what does this God ask of and from us as we live in the world? He, in so many different ways, challenged the ways that folks often think about faith. One of the things he significantly challenged was that sometimes we live our faith as if it's just kind of up here, pie in the sky, and it's only about me. He said, no. God becoming embodied amongst us invites us to live more deeply in the world, to love the world as Christ did, to show up in that space, to be for others, to not be folks who are just trying to pick people off, but to be people who through our own lives are willing to show up and be a people who attest that God is a God of love. Some of you know how this story ends. Dietrich Bonhoeffer ended up getting picked up in a raid by the Gestapo and put in prison and was killed two months before the Allied forces liberated the jail at which he was. But to the very end, 
he wrestled with and challenged the church that to be Christian in our world demanded that we be for the world and embody the love of God to our neighbors and within our own lives. When the war was over, Christians of all stripes had to wrestle with what did Christianity need to do with the fact that it was so complicit in the rise of national socialism? They wrestled with this, and this is actually what my dissertation work that I'm sort of working on right now is about. There were folks like Bonhoeffer, Dorothy Zola, Moltmann, and others who asked these questions of what does it mean to be Christian and to be a part of God's kingdom in a world that has known pain and horror and suffering. Dorothy Zola is a woman whose work I only recently came to know. She was a Lutheran Christian. She wrestled with this whole idea of what is it, who is the God that we know and serve. She talked about how we can either experience God as an authoritarian figure or we can experience God as a ground of our being, as a mystical sort of knowing of this God of love. She said that oftentimes as Christians, we act like we're going to get drowned in God. She's like, okay, but then you just get like killed. What if instead the way into resurrection life is to remember that God is the ground of our being, to find ourselves held in that space? One of the things that she talks about that resonates with this I am that I was telling you about, remember how Moses, the burning bush, God says I am? She talks about the concept in the Jewish faith of the Shekinah glory. That's this glory when God shows up, when the presence of God is known, and how it represents God's indwelling, God's presence in the world. So to say then, as Christ does, I am the way, the truth, and the life, this points to the reality that Jesus is this indwelling, that as we encounter the love of God in Christ, this isn't just something we profess. It's something that we walk into, and it, it changes all of who we are if we will only let it. To do this work, though, to follow a God of love is a profoundly vulnerable thing. I'll never forget the moment when I knew that my body actually believed the gospel. I knew I had like, believed in the love of God my whole life, but it was actually about five years ago. I'd been on a run and I was listening to a liturgist podcast about trauma. And I remembered back to when I was in college and I heard Greg Boyd invite folks to close their eyes, which I'm going to do. And I want you to have a picture of God in your head. Who is your God? What does this God look like? I'm going to pause for just a minute. I'm going to invite you to reopen your eyes. Now, for some of you, there might be deep resonance between what you just saw in your head and what you profess. For me, there wasn't. 
for me, God was like the trust fall thing, you know, you're supposed to do where you fall back. And I was always like, hey, it's cool, I got it. <laughs> yeah, you're loving. <laughs> right? And I got done with this run one day. And I was finishing, like I went into the restroom because I was going to take a shower and I have my earbuds in. And I lean against the wall. And for the first time, I realized I let my body relax. And I knew in that moment that my body knew what my mind and my lips and my heart had long believed. That this God of the way, the truth, and the life was the life that I knew in my own skin. It was a love that wasn't just for you, but it was actually for me too. And why this matters is because I do deeply believe that if we, even inside of our faith, actually use our faith to keep ourselves safe, it will impact how we show up in our closest relationships with one another and with our world. But if the way, the truth, and the life invites us instead to be truly human in the way that God meant us to be, to know ourselves as loved, to remember the joy that we felt when we were kids and we splashed in puddles and didn't care, to remember what it felt like when we weren't afraid of one another. That is the beauty and the challenge and the invitation of the I am who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In my Father's house there are many rooms because there's actually enough rooms for all of us, too. This is vulnerable, and it's scary. And the reality is that many of us have a lot of good reasons that we're afraid. And that's okay. But that is part of the beauty and the calling to life that this God in Christ invites us each into, where we little bit by little bit open our hands Breathe in a little bit more of the Spirit and find ourselves less afraid than we were yesterday. The saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one gets to the Father except through me, has been used by our communities to be sure that we are right and others aren't. And I wonder, what if instead it became the most profound invitation to each of us to make the way by walking it, to know the truth by living and experiencing it, and to know life because that is what we do with one another and with our neighbors and in our neighborhoods, that we are a people of life and truth and the way. What if that's what Jesus was trying to tell us? The way to the me, like the Father's through me. So like, like way, truth, life, like love your neighbor as yourself, love God. You know, I mean, it doesn't have to be that hard. Let's not let that be lost in translation. But let's be a people who along with those throughout human history have been willing to surrender and open ourselves to love, 
to a love that is and was and always has been ours. One of the things about walking this out and why we gather is that to live into love is indeed terrifying for many of us. And we need one another to do it. When I no longer have faith to hold a candle because my heart is too broken, I need you to hold my arms up. When I start crying on a Thursday because of some sort of intersection of PMS and other things in the world, I need my spouse to remind me I'm loved and not crazy. Right? We walk this way together. So let us be a people who with our eyes focused on the God of love, let us walk in the way, the truth, and the life. Let us be a people of the way, the truth, and the life. Let us walk hand in hand together and bring about more of God's way and truth and life. Meister Eckhart was an old school mystic. He said, God, rid me of all other gods. So may the God of all love fill your and my hearts and minds and bodies and souls with the breath of life and love. As we close, let's pray together, inviting this God of love to help us to be this kind of a people with and for one another and our world. We'll close in some silence. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awakencommunity or on Twitter at awakencommunity. See you next time.